The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences. If you are not an adult, please do not let your parents know you're listening to this, and don't repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please drink responsibly. Now that we have all that covered, let's start the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 304 of the podcast. Unless you're joining me live on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, if you want to catch the show live, make sure you subscribe on one or all of those platforms. Turn on your notifications so you can find out when the show is going live, like right now. Today is Sunday, February 26th. Um, my late grandmother's birthday, actually. So happy birthday, grandma. Love you. Um, it is 1029 in the PM here on the East coast of these United States of America. Um, long weekend for me. I gotta be honest. Um, didn't know if I was gonna, gonna make it to the microphone this week, but here I am. Uh, give you guys a few updates. So, uh, just a lot of things going on. Having some construction done in the house, uh, long time listeners or, or even recent listeners know that I was doing some mold remediation in my house. I had to gut my bathroom and it was a whole thing. So finally getting that bathroom rebuilt and it, it's just been a lot, you know, construction workers in and out of the house. And I, uh, I had to have it painted, uh, before they can finish up and put the tub in, uh, on Monday. And I only had like a few hours to work. I painted it myself. Um, cause it's just too hard to find somebody to do it and get them here and coordinate and this and that long story short, I was up till, um, about 1230 last night painting the bathroom um, just because we had some family stuff to do during the day and, and early evening yesterday. And then today we uh, spent the day at Epcot, which is Walt, Walt Disney World Park uh, in Orlando, just a short drive uh, from where we live here. Those of you who listen regularly know that we spend a lot of time there with our daughter who is five years old and just loves going to Disney. So we have our annual passes and sometimes we'll just shoot over there for the day. That's what we did today. Uh, we met up with my daughter's friend from school and her family, uh, which is fun because then my daughter has someone to run around with and go on the rides with and, and things like that. And, uh, we get along with her parents, so we just kind of hang out, have a few beers. Um, <clears throat> normally, I get a beer in the Norway Pavilion of Epcot. For those of you who don't know or have never been to Epcot, um, there's there's two kind of sections of the theme park. The front section is like a futuristic kind of world with with rides, a Finding Nemo ride and like some space themed rides, stuff like that. The other half of the park 
is called a world showcase. So you walk around this big lake um, and there are different countries, different pavilions of different countries. And they have food and drinks and stuff from each respective country. So you can do a little world taste test or drink around the world, you know, whatever your pleasure is. So normally I go to the Norway pavilion, which of course is where they have the frozen ride, uh, which happened to be shut down today. And they have a beer there that I really love called Einstock. It's a, it's a beer from Norway, obviously. Um, and I, I really like it. They didn't have it today. So I guess you could say it was out of stock. Um, but anyway, they had a, a different, they had two other beers and one of them was called a Carlsberg, I want to say. And the other one is spelled A-A-S-S. Now they insist that this is pronounced aus. Um, I'm not familiar with the Norwegian language. Um, if anybody is, you know, please enlighten me. But, you know, if, if I were to just read that word, I would pronounce it differently. So when I, that's the beer that I wanted, but I didn't want to say it. So I, I just asked the guy, I said, which of these beers is better? And without hesitation, he said, Aus. And I said, oh, all right, I'll have one of those, please. Um, I'm glad I didn't uh, order it in the way I would have pronounced it because, um, you know, that might've led to a situation. The guy might've gotten the wrong idea. Might've thought I was looking for something other than a beer. You know, I don't want to be in that kind of situation at Disney world. It's the happiest place on earth for crying out loud. Anyway, the house beer <coughs> is, a uh, is a Pilsner. And, uh, I typically don't care for Pilsners very much. They just have like a, just like a bitterness that I don't really enjoy. But, you know, I was there already. I waited on the line. So I was like, I'm going to get something. going to get me some house one way or another. Um, <laughs> I, I just wish they would spell it phonetically so you could just like confidently order it, you know. But uh, I, typically not a fan of Pilsner's, but it was good. It was a good beer. It didn't have that that typical... Pilsner like bitterness. I, I'm trying to trying to think of a way to describe the flavor that I don't like in Pilsners. It's just like it just tastes like piss, kind of. This one didn't. This one tastes like house. Anyway, <laughs> had the beer, went on some rides. Um, of course, I waited many hours before driving back home. Um, <laughs> Mark Fellows says freshly tapped house. <laughs> I was tapping that house, my friend. All right. Um, yeah, so had, had a couple of drinks, but waited many hours. Um, lots of walking, lots of water before I drove home. Of course, got to be responsible, but, uh, the kids had a good time. You know, we had some food, went on some rides. It was a good day, but um, you know, woke up early to drive out there and then got home around 10 o'clock. Luckily it worked out that, you know, we changed the kiddo into her pajamas before we got in the car. She fell asleep on the way home. 
Um, and then we just put it right to bed. It was a nice little family day, but because we were doing that today, I had to stay up, um, until like 1230 last night, paying the bathroom. And then after that, I got around to, uh, watching the UFC fights. The other thing that was going on this weekend is my father-in-law, uh, had a hip replacement surgery and the things they're able to do are, are just amazing. I mean, it, so, so much, so much credit to him for being so tough because he's 83 years old. They, they cut his whole leg open, took his hip out and then put in like the best way I can describe it is this bionic metal hip. So they, they shove that thing in there and you know, somehow two hours later, he's up and walking uh, you know, with the help of a walker, but it, it just blows my mind that they can just cut somebody open, completely replace the whole inside of their limb. And then that limb is usable within hours. Um, you know, modern, modern uh, surgeries and medicines and things like that are, are just, uh, are just incredible. Um, so he's doing well, you know, bounce back pretty quick. Um, we went and had had some brought him some dinner last night and hung out. Um, and he was in good spirits. He, he could get up and and move around. You know, he's not he's not going to be running a relay race anytime soon. But just the fact that he could even walk after you know, having an artificial hip put in um, a day ago is pretty incredible. So it's it's amazing the things they can do. It gives me hope. Because after all these years of uh, wrestling and grappling and stuff, unless they come out with, with some new kind of stem cells that are readily available here in the States, uh, I'm going to be needing uh, one or two or even three of those hip replacements myself. I don't know how many hips there are in a human body. It shows how much I know. But, man, just the fact that they can do that to a person, they cut them open and then just completely replace a limb, it's like I... You know, I'm trying to think of a comparable example, but like some days I can't even make toast without burning it. So it's like I can't imagine having the kind of responsibility where I I'm in control of another person's limbs and like whether or not they'll be able to walk for the rest of their lives. Um, I would definitely screw that up. So luckily, there are some very smart and capable people out there who would not. Um and that was that. So whole lot going on this weekend. Little update on my life, so you guys can uh, get to feel like you know the real me. You know, not just the the celebrity MMA podcaster that I am. Clearly, gigantic celebrity. Um. <laughs> anyway, I did get a chance to watch the fights. I I stayed up super late um, after I was done painting. And uh, checked out these fights. And this was a fun card, man. Uh, we didn't get the main event we were looking forward to. Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann. I guess Krylov just like couldn't get off the toilet. Had to pull out of the fight. Something like that. He had like a spastic colon or chronic diarrhea or food poisoning. I don't know. All of the above. I don't know. But 
lost control of his anus for a little while and uh, wasn't able to compete. I don't blame him. You know, it doesn't sound like a situation you want to be in when you're about to get into a cage fight with, uh, with a guy like Ryan Spann. Um, you know, I would def if I was going to fight Ryan Spann, I would definitely want to have control of my anus at a minimum. You know, that, that would be a minimum requirement. You know, there, there's a lot of other preparation that would have to go into it as well. But, you know, I'd say at a minimum, got to have, um, you know, full sphincter control um, before stepping in there, especially with the way these uh, Venom fight kits have been malfunctioning lately. You know, we don't, there could be some messy accidents in there. Uh, and we don't want to see that. Unfortunate that we had to lose that main event. Hopefully they can get them rescheduled uh, quickly uh, since both guys probably pretty close to weight just uh, went through fight camp. So hopefully we can get them added onto a card. Obviously it's not going to be next week because next week's card is already jam-packed, but maybe in the next month or so because um, that was going to be a fun fight. I was looking forward to it, but we did get a good main event. Um, this one did not go down the way I expected. I was expecting a much closer fight in this one, to be honest. And if you had told me that it was a submission win without seeing the fight, I would have thought that Andre Muniz uh, would have won, uh, but that was not the case. Brendan Allen out grappling Andre Muniz, who we all know is a beast on the ground. Um, you know, he damn near ripped Jacare's arm clean, clean off his body. So Brendan Allen, um, first, I think it was in the first round, he the fight went to the ground and he swept Muniz immediately. And I think that really gave him his confidence. And he finished the round on top. I can't remember if that was the first or the second round, but then his corner told him he's got nothing for you on the ground. Um, Brendan Allen, you know, really good grappler, especially an MMA style grappler, you know, went back to the ground and, and really just wore Andre Muniz down. Uh, <clears throat> that's, that's really what happened here. Uh, Cause Muniz, it, it, you know, in a straight grappling contest, if he's in that position, He's been in that position a million times. He knows how to defend a rear naked choke. I think it was just, it, it was just straight exhaustion there. Um, and, and a hell of a squeeze by Brendan Allen. So uh, credit to him, man. Uh, what a, what a great fight. And, and he had some good call outs at the end of it. Um, want, wants to run it back with a couple of guys. Let me see if I just pull up his record real quick. I can recall who he called out exactly. So he wants to run it back with the action man, Chris Curtis, and he wants to run it back with Sean Strickland, his last two losses, um, both via TKO. But, you know, he's put together a nice little four-fight win streak now, and uh, three of those four wins are by finish, by submission, actually all by rear naked choke. So you got to watch out for this dude if he gets a hold of your neck. I was about to say back, but then I getting a hold of your back doesn't make sense. He gets a hold of your neck while he's on your back is what he does. 
so yeah, this is a, a big win for Brendan Allen. He he gets that main ev- main event uh, feel and experience, um, and and was able to you know not have to prepare for five rounds. So it, it's probably better to do it this way, where you just kind of get it sprung on you. You still only have to fight three rounds. Uh, you walk away with a win in a main event after you know, stepping into that spot on short notice, which always looks good to the company. Mark said it's too bad for that dude who bet $117,000 on Nunez. Oh man, that stings. I don't know a lot about gambling, but I hope he hedged that bet uh, somehow by, by betting like a hundred grand on (laughs) Brendan Allen by submission or something. I don't, I don't know anything about how you would go about doing that but hopefully that person who made that bet uh, did something like that not as bad as uh drake who bet four hundred thousand dollars on jake paul to win by knockout tonight and uh yeah that didn't go well we'll get into that a little later maybe if we have time Rick Allen says, looking more like a caveman every stream with that beard, Bill. Congrats, caveman Bill. Thank you. I'll take it. I don't mind being compared to a Neanderthal. I pretty much am on most days. All right, so let's go down the rest of this card, which is pretty quick. Augusto Sakai, Dante Mays uh, upgraded to the co-main event. Um, I I didn't like this fight. To be honest with you, I was kind of tuning out. Um, pretty boring. Two big dudes just kind of like hanging on each other. Um, yeah, and not much to talk about here. <clears throat> so. We'll leave it at that. Gusto Sakai uh, getting the the win there. I don't I don't know how much this this victory in this fashion really does for him uh, in this heavyweight division. If you want to if you want to progress as a heavyweight, you got to be landing some big time knockouts. All right, this is the fight I was really interested in: the return of Tatiana Suarez against Montana De La Rosa. Suarez looked good. Um, it looked like she took the first round to kind of get her sea legs back a little bit. Um, she was she was struggling with the lower body takedowns a little bit, and then she realized in the second round, if she goes for uh, attack the upper body of Montana De La Rosa in open space, then there was not a lot she could do uh, to, to stop the takedown. Gets a nice little head and arm throw. Um, into a really tight scarf hold position and then works herself to the guillotine, which Montana did a good job defending at first. She was leaning into it. Um, but Tatiana Suarez was making all the right adjustments. A lot of people, what you see them do is lean back when they get the guillotine. It's just, it's just a natural thing. You feel like you feel like you're cranking more if you pull back. Um, but what you actually have to do is crunch down to put more pressure on the throat. Um, leaning back actually opens up your arms and creates more space for your opponent to breathe. It, it will put a little more strain on the back of the neck, but 
that's never going to make uh, a professional fighter tap. They're not just not going to tap to, to that kind of neck pressure. You're never going to see it at this level. Um, so Montana did the right thing leaning forward. Then she tried to, to lean back and get to her knees and try and pry the hands off. But Tatiana Suarez is such a high level grappler. She was able to uh, just hold that squeeze. Um, and like I said, did the right thing, tucking her chin down and crunching down on that guillotine uh, until she eventually got the tap from Montana Del Rose. She was holding that choke for a long time, though. Uh, her her arms must have been throbbing at the end of that fight. But uh, it's good to see her back in there. Uh, it's been, gosh, almost four years, I think, since she fought. She had a terrible knee injury before she was supposed to fight Roxanne Mataferi back in 2019, tore every ligament in her knee except her PCL, um, which is just, just gruesome. Um, I've, I've done that myself. I've, I've had all the ligaments torn in my knee. Um, to this day, probably the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And it was, it was a year and a half recovery for me. And I was a good athlete at the time. I was nowhere near the level of a professional mixed martial artist, but um, it was a long road to recovery for me. And I was, I was young. I was say 19 or 20, um, which, you know, your body heals a little bit better at that age, but it was still, it still took a long time. I couldn't even ride a bicycle for a year. Um, just horrible. So I can, kind of relate to what she must have gone through with that knee injury. And it took her so long to get back in there. Um, she, she's just such an incredible talent and, and someone who after another fight, I could see challenging for this flyweight title. Um, I mean, she has a win over Alexa Grasso, who's going to be fighting next week for the title against Valentina Shevchenko. So um, she's got that to leverage in her back pocket along with, you know, a finish victory, second round submission victory um, that's fresh on everybody's mind. So if she wanted to call her shot, now's the time to do it. Um, or if she really wants to to take the express lane to a title shot, um, call out Aaron Blanchfield. Because why not? Um And that would actually be a really fun fight because yeah, I'd like to see that fight because Aaron Blanchfield has an advantage in the jujitsu department, but good luck taking Tatiana Suarez down. If she doesn't want the fight to go to the floor, that would have been a good call out. The timing works out well too, because they both just fought. The title's going to be decided next week between Valentina and Alexa Grasso. So if they fight soon, you know, they were both relatively unscathed in their fights. I don't know. We'll see. Mike Malott looks really good against Johan Lanes. Uh, arm triangle choke in the first round. Uh, this one was just 
just a one-sided fight. It was almost mismatched. Um, just dominant win for Mike Malott. Another first-round finish for him. Um, undefeated in the UFC, I believe. Uh, only one. I think he's only got one loss. I don't think he's completely undefeated, but I can pull that up real quick. Yeah, nine and one. His only loss against Hakeem Dawadu back in 2014. Um, so we all know how that guy turned out. So no shame in that. And he looks like he does have one draw on his record. Yeah. Three wins in the UFC, including his appearance on Dana White's Contender Series. All finishes. All in the first round. It looks like the guy's only been to decision once in his career. Every other fight has ended in the first round. His early fights lasting 30 seconds, 15 seconds. Wow, armbar submission in 30 seconds. Yeah, this kid's a beast, man. 31 years old, just stepping into his prime. Looking forward to seeing that dude fight again. Um, Let's see. Lost my fight night. Here it is. Trevor Peak. Okay. If you guys didn't see this, this fight was wild. Trevor Peak against Eric Gonzalez. Trevor Peak had Gonzalez rocked, and all of a sudden he's throwing hammer fists standing up. He just like trying to club this dude. And and some were landing, some were not. Um it it was sloppy. It was it was everything you would tell someone not to do on, on their first day of of boxing or kickboxing, and it was so entertaining, thoroughly entertaining. Um, and, and wounds up hitting Eric with a clean shot right at the end of the round, and then has him slumped down on the cage and lands about three or four more unnecessary blows uh, before referee Kerry Hatley stepped in and saved Eric Gonzalez. Probably could have gotten in there a little sooner. I think as soon as he hit the canvas, you could have stopped that fight and, and nobody would have argued it. Um, so it was unfortunate. <laughs> it was unfortunate to, to see it go on as long as it did. But Man, Trevor Peak. I, I was not familiar with this kid before last night, but I'm going to be looking forward to seeing him again. Looks like he came off Dana White's contender series. Um, Let's see, 8-0. Okay. Yeah, so this was his first real fight in the UFC. Um, You see his picture on Sherdog here. He's weighing in in khakis and a, and a brown belt. I like his style. Uh, from Pisgah, Alabama. All right, man. I want to see this dude fight again soon. I mean, he's walking into a stacked division at 155 pounds, but he definitely made himself known last night uh, with this unorthodox striking style he's got. Um uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him fight again. Jasmine Judavicious, unanimous decision over Gabriela Fernandez. Did not see this fight, to be honest with you. Uh, if it's something I need to go back and watch, please make it known to me. Jordan Levitt 
impressive performance over Victor Martinez. Uh, it was all about the clinch in this fight. Speaking about unorthodox, Jordan Levitt, a lot of the things he does, very unorthodox. I like the way he entered the clinch in this fight because this is something that I teach to my students a lot. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, I teach Muay Thai clinch at MJM Muay Thai here in Clearwater, Florida. If you're ever in the area, you know, feel free to come by and train and, you know, I could be your coach if you're interested in learning Muay Thai clinch. Uh, but this is something that I teach pretty often, punching your way into the clinch. So you throw a punch. Um, I, I like to teach my students to set it up with a one-two, see how your opponents react. If they kind of shell up, then the second time you throw it, instead of connecting or landing that second punch, you throw your hand towards the head and reach around the back of the head and grab onto that clinch forearm across the collarbone, good tight pressure on the neck. Um, and then he grabbed that full tie clinch. Unfortunately, Victor Martinez did not know the defense, which is to walk your hips under you to try and get your posture back. He kind of slumped down a little bit. He let Jordan Levitt control his posture, took some nasty knees straight up the middle. Uh, that was after taking some elbows and um, just got dropped, knocked out. Um, really clean performance from Jordan Levitt. He looks really good in that fight. Um, so, yeah, a couple of comments here. Lane99 says, ah, oh, my favorite MMA show. Thanks for getting back in the saddle. Going to listen from the start. Well, cheers to you, Lane. Appreciate you listening. Mark Fellows <laughs> talking about the Trevor Peak fight. The ref enjoyed it too, didn't want to stop it. I, I imagine that's got to happen. You have to have moments as a referee where you're like, holy shit, I can't believe what I'm watching. This guy is actually like throwing standing hammer fists. Oh, yeah, I'm working. <laughs> I imagine that's got to that's got to be a factor if you're refereeing. Refereeing is one of the only things I've never done uh, it, in fighting. And I would like to, at some point, uh, referee a fight. Rick Allen says, Bill, who are you kidding? You couldn't punch your way out of a paper bag. That may be true on some days, my friend. That may be true. You know, I had my day. That day is not today. Um, Ode Osborne split decision over Charles Johnson did not catch this fight either. Uh, from the fight stats, it looked like Charles Johnson landed more strikes, but Ode Osborne landed more takedowns. So I'm guessing that's what won him the decision. This one was 130 pound catch weight. So I'm wondering if one of these guys missed weight. Joe Selecki grappling clinic over Carl Deaton. Um, Selecki's good on the ground, man. Let me pull up his record real quick. He got to the back and right away, like as he put his hooks in, he had the choke sunk in, which is the way you have to do it in the UFC. Unless you have a case like Andre Muniz, where the fighter is like completely exhausted, you're not going to be able to just get your hooks and get settled on the back and then start working a choke. It's just too difficult, especially with those four ounce gloves. They make it really hard to get a, a rear naked choke in successfully. So I like that Selecki put the choke in right as he got on the back. He used the modified grip, which 
uh, is you, you grab your hands and then your non-choking forearm is right on the shoulder blade of your opponent. Instead of trying to sneak that hand behind the head, which can be difficult with the gloves, I much prefer the, the modified grip. I, some people feel like you can't get a tight enough squeeze. I, I think they're just doing it wrong, personally. Um, I think it's harder to defend um, because you can't, you can't really break the grip because you can't reach the hands with the modified grip. Um, so, yeah, I liked everything about this finish. And I just want to pull up Joe Selecki's record real quick. Take a look at what this young man has been up to. All right, two wins in a row. Before that, split decision loss to Jared Gordon. Yeah, but this the problem is this weight class because he has this great performance at lightweight, but then it's so early on the card, and then later on you have these two great knockouts by these lightweights, Jordan Levitt and Trevor Peak. So you get kind of overshadowed. You get lost in the shuffle. Um even at with with such an outstanding finish. Um, and he did it with five seconds left in the round, put Carl Deaton unconscious. Uh, just a great performance uh, by Joe Selecki. So I didn't see his, his post-fight interview or anything like that. So hopefully he made a good call out for himself um, to try and get himself a good fight, get himself on the main card of a fight night. Uh, definitely deserving of that. So, yeah, let's see. I didn't watch any of the interviews or anything. I watched all these fights with the sound off and um, just fast-forwarded through everything because I was up so late. Um, so I just wanted to just watch the actual fights instead of all the uh, all the stuff in between. So if I missed anything of importance, like any good call-outs or – Anything like that, any good uh, post-fight speeches, let me know. Um, yeah, good little fight night card. Short night, 10 fights. I, I like this kind of card personally. Sometimes you get into 14, 15, 16 fights. It's just, it's like, all right, I've been I've been watching MMA for seven hours now. Is the, is the main event on yet? gets to be that way, uh, which is pretty much what we're looking at next week. 14 fights on this card, but man, who's not looking forward to this card? This card, it, this is the, the kind of card I don't mind staying up late for. We got so much going on here. Of course, the return of John Jones after, what is it, three years since he fought Dominic Reyes? And just, and just, uh, hold on a second. Mark is telling me there's a backup fighter for John Jones versus Cyril Gunn. Who is it? Is it Curtis Blades? That's the only name I can think of. That would, Rosenstrike, maybe? I don't know. It's smart having a heavyweight backup. They don't have to make weight or anything. Maybe it's Anthony Smith. 
he weighed in at heavyweight the last time he was a backup. So it's supposed to be light heavyweight, but maybe it's him. That'd be interesting. <clears throat> Let's see. Where to begin here? I mean, it it's going to be interesting to see how John Jones moves with all that extra weight. Um, everything that's coming out of the camps he trains with at Jackson Wink and with Henry Cejudo, it, it, it seems to be this is the best John Jones they've seen. And it, the narrative he's kind of going with, which is a little different than the narrative he started out with, uh, is that he wasn't scared to fight light heavyweights anymore. So he needed to step up and wait so that he felt that fear so that he would train harder makes sense of course the narrative he started with was he wanted to make more money and he thought by giving up his championship and calling out francis and ganu he would be able to just renegotiate his contract and kind of learn the hard way that that's not how it works um fortunately for him Three years later, Francis Ngannou walks away from the UFC and the UFC needs a heavyweight draw. So then they renegotiate John Jones's contract. Um, so it worked out for him, just not on the timeline he had in mind and not in the manner that he had in mind, I imagine. This is an interesting fight because... Cyril Gan is a very good striker, obviously. You know, he he got Francis Ngannou to the point where Ngannou wanted to take him down and did. Ngannou's bigger than John Jones, which is why he was able to close the distance and smother Cyril Gan a little bit and, and get to those takedowns. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that if Francis Ngannou took you down, uh, a muscled-up John Jones is definitely going to take you down because John Jones actually has a wrestling background and wrestling credentials. <clears throat> Although, I don't want to diminish the wrestling of Francis Ngannou. Um you know, a lot of the belief is you can't teach a grown man to wrestle. And I think largely that's true. Um, especially what I see in the gym with, with guys who have done jujitsu for years, but have never wrestled. They just cannot develop the ability to take people down and they end up just pulling guard or do whatever it is they do. Um, that that's frowned upon by the rest of us, but <clears throat> there are exceptions. George St. Pierre is one of those exceptions. Probably one of the best MMA wrestlers of all time. Didn't have a wrestling background. Francis Ngannou is the type of athlete who can learn something later in life and apply it in the sport. So I wouldn't be so quick to diminish his wrestling to the point of, well, if Francis took you down, and John Jones will take you down. Remember, Francis is a naturally bigger guy. John Jones is moving up to this weight class and is going to be figuring out in real time 
how to move with this different body that he's developed for himself over the years of, of weightlifting and, you know, whatever else he's been doing to, to get himself um, to the point where he's a heavyweight. It's going to be interesting to see what he weighs in at. He still doesn't really have the frame for a heavyweight. You know, he's, he still has a, a pretty wiry frame, but he, but he put a lot of muscle on it. It's going to be very telling when we see these two face off um, and see see the, the size of them uh, when they're standing right next to each other. That's going to be interesting. I don't expect uh, any trash talk or any good uh, you know press conference clips here. Um, you know, unless John Jones decides to go on a bender before a press conference, which you know we can't rule that out. I mean, if you're looking at skills, if you're talking about pound for pound, if pound for pound is a real thing, John Jones is better everywhere. On paper, Cyril Gaon is the more credentialed striker. But John Jones has been in there with many more credentialed strikers. And it didn't matter. He adjusts and, you know, he finds a way to beat them up. That's just what he does. Um, I still believe that John Jones is the greatest fighter we've ever seen. And that's coming from someone who, frankly, doesn't really like him as a person. I think it's hard to bring up John Jones and not mention, you know, the despicable things he's done uh, since being in the spotlight. But that doesn't change the fact that skill-wise, he is the best we've ever seen. Um, and I don't think it's even close. It, it, you know, a lot of people won't put him in that position because of all this stuff outside of fighting. And I think that's fine. Um, but if we're being honest here, he's the greatest talent we've ever seen. I mean, the guy can do everything. And he could do it to people who are high-level fighters when he's not even trying hard. That's the scariest thing about John Jones. He's such a natural talent. He could beat high-level fighters when he's not even trying. And now, supposedly, he's training harder than ever. He's going to be bigger. He's going to be stronger. But... That's not necessarily an advantage. You know, more muscle means you got to distribute more oxygen to fuel those muscles. You fatigue faster. The lactic acid builds up more. You know, if if Cyril Gan decides to keep this fight at range and just keep John away with his jab, which I don't think he'll be able to do for more than a round because John will adjust. But Cyril has that ability, you know. Cyril Gans had has a little bit of grappling, but I I think I think we all got a little bit sandbagged by him, you know. We, we saw him hit that heel hook 
a few years back and and we all got fooled into thinking that this guy you know has some serious grappling in his back pocket and that um that it, it just doesn't seem to be the case and, and he definitely doesn't have the grappling uh to the level that john jones does i mean john jones junior college national champion his Greco-Roman wrestling, just outstanding. He submitted black belts uh, when he was like a white belt or maybe a brand new blue belt. When he choked out Leoto Machida, like it was nothing, like he was a child. Uh, the things that this guy's able to do are just unbelievable. It's an interesting fight. It's going to be a boring fight if Cyril Gunn has his way. He's going to keep John Jones at the end of his jab. He's going to circle, circle, circle. He's going to pick his shots and, and hope that John gets tired over five rounds, which is possible. We've seen John get tired in fights at light heavyweight when he wasn't carrying as much weight. I'm interested, though. I'm all in on this one. So I'll be tuning in. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money, but um, if you are doing something with it, please share it with me. Let me know in the comments or message me on social media. If you're gambling on this fight, I'm interested to know, um, what the gamblers are doing here. And then the co-main event that I didn't realize was happening until like halfway through the podcast two weeks ago when I was talking about what Aaron Blanchfield should do next. Valentina Shevchenko putting it on the line against Alex Grasso. Um, I mean, this could be, you know, Alexa Grasso could pull off like one of the biggest underdog upsets of all time. She's riding a four fight win streak, but I mean, I'm not a gambling man. But um, I would put my money on Valentina. I mean, she just seems to be on a different level than than anyone ever. <laughs> Rick Allen says <laughs> the backup for Jones versus Gone is Kane fresh out of jail Velasquez. If that's the case, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Imagine the ovation Cain Velasquez is going to get if he steps on the scale on Friday night. That would be incredible. Cain Velasquez versus John Jones would be an epic fight. Cain looking for a redemption for his for his boy Daniel Cormier. Both criminals for very different reasons. It's a great fight. Man, I just got excited for that one. Imagine Kane weighs in on Friday night. All right, here's a fight nobody's talking about. And I don't know why, because this fight is going to be crazy. Jeff Neal and Shavkat Rachmanov. Nobody wants to fight Rachmanov. 
Jeff Neal raises his hand and he goes, I'll fight that guy. Jeff Neal's a bad motherfucker. That's a bad motherfucker move right there. Stepping up to fight the guy that nobody wants to fight when you're ranked like probably way ahead of him. I don't know what the rankings look like, but I imagine there's got to be damn near double digits in between these two. Jeff Neal has to be ranked close to the top five. And I imagine Rachmanov is ranked somewhere around 15. If I'm wrong, it's only by a few digits. So the fact that Jeff Neal is willing to take this fight, that's a bad motherfucker move. It's, it's going to be interesting, man. Rachmanov is a beast. He's good everywhere. He's big. He's damn big for welterweight. Let's see. Yeah, they got him at 6'1". He seems bigger than that. 16-0. Coming off submitting Neil Magny. Let's see. And Jeff Neal... All right, Jeff Neal's on a little bit of a rip, too. Win Back-to-back -back wins over Vicente Luque, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Lost to Neil Magny, who Rachmanov got out of there in two rounds with a finish. Not a lot of people finishing Neil Magny, who aren't named Gilbert Burns. This is a fun fight. I don't know. What do you guys think? You think the ranking system is going to prevail here and Jeff Neal walks away with his hand raised? Or is it Rachmanov's time? Then we got Mataus Gamrot against Jalen Turner. I know I sound like a broken record, but this lightweight division is, is just insane. You know, we had three, we had three lightweights uh, with finishes last night. And we might not be talking about any of them after next week. We might be talking about Jalen Turner and Mataus Gamrot. That's a really fun fight, too. You know what I would like to see is Jalen Turner go back up to welterweight and see Jalen Turner versus Rachmanov? Think about that one. That's an interesting fight. Let's see. Then we got uh, Bo Nickel which I believe this is going to be his UFC debut, right? He had two contender series fights and they were that he just demolished guys. And they were like, all right, I guess we got to let you in the UFC, even though you have three fights. Bo Nickel, for those who don't know, an outstanding wrestler, collegiate wrestler. Um, He uh, came over to MMA, uh, I guess was, I guess was trying to build his career slowly, but um, NCAA All-American, national champion at, where did Bo Nickel wrestle? If anybody could let me know. For some reason, it's escaping me right now, and it's bothering me, so I'm going to look it up. Penn State. Of course, he went to Penn State. I don't know why I couldn't remember that right now. Only one of the top 
wrestling schools there is. Um, it's late, guys. Give me a break. Like 11.30 here. Uh, long weekend. Been at Disney World all day. Give me a pass now and then when I can't remember stuff. All right. So he's getting in there with Jamie Piggott, who is a lot more experienced. <clears throat> Coming off of two losses. Okay. Finished in both of those. Jamie Piggott's fighting for his job here against a guy in Bo Nickel who the UFC didn't really want to sign. Nobody really wants to fight him. Because the guy's, he, he's only got three fights, but he's a fucking problem. Make no mistake. He's a serious problem. So Jamie, um, Jamie Piggott has lost four of his last six fights. He's, he's definitely fighting for his job here. Against a guy who's just an absolute monster. Grappled Gordon Ryan, suplexed the shit out of him. I don't know if any of you guys saw that. Got submitted, but still a nice suplex. Let's see. Rick Allen ripping me apart once again. You couldn't remember it because of all the TKOs you've received while trying to train people at your quote-unquote gym, Bill. It's called CTE. It's a distinct possibility, Rick. Distinct possibility. I've been punched in the head quite a lot. Um, and yeah, I, did, I forget things sometimes. It happens. Give me a break, all right? All right, so Bo Nickel. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can't even count his fight experience in fights. You got to do minutes he has like two and a half minutes <laughs> of of professional fight experience even if you go to his amateur record two and oh is an amateur he's got a total of under three minutes fighting as an amateur and his professional record his first fight wins by a knockout in 33 seconds first contender series fight submission in a minute and two seconds Second contender series fight because they still didn't want to let him in the UFC. Wins by triangle choke in 52 seconds. This guy's a problem. If, if he comes in here and finishes Jamie Pickett in the first round, you're going to see Bo Nickel with four MMA fights as probably a co-main event in his next fight, which is insane. Who, who else has been fast-tracked this fast? Like, it, it, if what I just projected for you comes true, Bo Nickel wins in the first round, he becomes a co-main event in his next fight. His second fight in the UFC, co-main event. Who's been fast-tracked like that other than Brock Lesnar? Another NCAA All-American, but... Let's be real. The real reason Brock Lesnar was fast-tracked is because he was a spectacle. Um, WWE superstar, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't, have, it didn't have as much to do with his NCAA experience. But that's the case we're seeing with Bo Nickel. 
main card of a pay-per-view, I believe, right? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, looks like the first fight on the main card. So he wins this in the first round. They got to move him up to a co-main event. But who's going to take that fight? If it's a co-main event, it's got to be like another known guy. What known guy is going to want to fight a guy on his fifth fight? Imagine you've been busting your ass for years to get that number next to your name. You got 25 fights or whatever it is. Here comes a guy that's 4-0. You got to put everything on the line against him. Doesn't sound like a great deal. I don't know who wants to take that deal. All the middleweights have to, that like 1 through 15, have to be hoping this guy loses. You know, he's already looking at Alex Pereira. I don't know. Maybe he's looking through Jamie Pickett. And that could be a downfall. You know? It's it's not like this is a gimme. Jamie Pickett's a tough dude. I'd be interested to see the odds on this one. I imagine Bo Nichols got to be a big favorite. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Cody Garbrandt fighting for some reason against Trevin Jones. The last time Cody Garbrandt was in there, I didn't even wasn't even aware he was still fighting. All right, so December 2021. So over two years ago since we've seen Cody Garbrandt. Uh, I mean, hopefully that's been enough time for him to, to heal up because he's taken one, two, three, four, five knockout losses in his last seven fights. Six fights. Which is crazy. Because if you think back, the Cody Garbrandt that we saw beat Dominic Cruz, that Cody Garbrandt on that night is one of the best fighters we've ever seen. That performance was amazing. Then he ran into EPO Dillashaw, and it was all downhill from there, man. Oh, my uh, producer by proxy, Mark Fellows, has the odds on Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel is a minus 1,800. Damn. Minus 1,800 favorite. That means you got to bet $1,800 on Bo Nickel to win 100 bucks. I think that's what it means. I'm not too good with gambling. Jamie Pickett, plus 900. So if you bet $100 on Jamie Pickett, you could win 900 bucks. I wouldn't do either one of those things. I wouldn't. I would not part with $100 for the chance of winning $900. I don't think it'll happen. But I also... I'm not so confident that Bo Nickel is going to win that I would bet $1,800 to win 100 bucks. That's just silliness. I would bet on some kind of prop. Like maybe, maybe Jamie Pickett by knockout is, is a better number, like a plus 2,000 or something. 
I would maybe throw a couple bucks on that. But I, again, I'm not the gambling guy. I, I'm not the guy who who sits and studies numbers and and makes picks. You guys go go look at Dan Tom for that stuff. He's the guru on things like that. He'll tell you what to do with your money. Um, not me. I mean, I I bet on fights occasionally. I've probably told you guys this before. I have like two hundred bucks. I put in a, an account, and it goes up and down. And uh, occasionally, if I have a good feeling, I'll throw some money on a fight. I, I won won some pretty good coin on Alex Padilla by fifth round knockout against Adesanya. That was just kind of like a gut call. But um, yeah, that same two hundred bucks has been in the account going up and down for years. Um, so I'm, I'm not the guy that, uh, that makes a living on this. All right. Where were we? I'm so excited for this card. Cause he, then you look, all right, get past Cody Garbrandt, Trevin Jones. I'm not really looking forward to that one. Uh, I'm hoping, you know, Cody's coming back revitalized after two plus years off, but I'm, I'm not feeling great about it. I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily want to see that fight. All right. Derek Brunson and Drickus Duplessis. This is a great fight because here are two guys who have a very similar quality. We saw it in Duplessis last fight. And we've seen it from Derek Brunson time and time again. And, and this is a Derek Brunson who fights smart and fights patiently. And the quality these two guys both have is they can be completely exhausted, gas tank on empty, and still push to control the fight. Which is a very undervalued skill to have. If you were going to build a fighter from scratch, that's the one quality I would start with. Anything else you can teach. You can teach the punches and the kicks and the takedowns and the clinch and the submissions. You can teach that to anybody. What you can't teach to anyone is the ability to keep pushing when your body says no more. And that's the ability these two guys have. Derek Brunson and Drickus Duplessis. They can both push beyond that point of exhaustion where a lot of us would just lay down and die. And they can still control the fight. They can still get takedowns, which takes so much energy. We've seen them both do it with nothing in the tank. We saw it in Duplessis' last fight against Darren Till. We saw it countless times from Derek Brunson. Also, both of these guys have big power. So you could see, you know, a war of attrition, you know, in that third round. Like, who's going to be the guy who, who crumbles under the pressure and who's going to be the one who can push through the exhaustion and continue controlling the other guy who can also push through the exhaustion. So if it comes down to that point, you're going to see 
plain and simply, who has the better skills? Or you could see somebody get knocked out in the first round. Either way, this makes it one of the most interesting fights on the card to me. So this is my sleeper pick for you guys, um, which is just the fight that I think is going to be so fun to watch that not a lot of people are giving love to. So I'll give it a little bit of love here. So cheers to Derek Bronson and Drickus Duplessis. Um, by the way, for anybody curious, I'm drinking a Benchmark single barrel. I'm not going to tell you too much about it. Um, that's just what it is. It's a little bit of a lighter bourbon, 95 proof. It's uh, if you know, you know, kind of thing. So if you want to know, look into it. Look into it. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> Viviana Rajo and Amanda Hebas. That's a fun fight. Julian Marquez and Mark Andre Barriol. That's going to be a good one. Julian Marquez is another one of those guys who kind of has that quality where like he can be beat but won't stop. And those guys are fun to watch. So that's going to be a good one. And Jessica Penne and Tabitha Ricci. It's a fun fight. And then we got, uh, we got some more undefeated fighters on this card. Esteban Ribovix. He looks like a child. How old is this guy? 26? This must be an old picture they have of him. Another lightweight. Let's see. He's from Argentina. Undefeated. First round knockout on the Contender Series back in August. Okay. A lot of first round finishes from this guy. A lot of submissions, a lot of knockouts. Looks like a fun fighter. And he is fighting Loic Radzhabov. Radzhabov. After I hear John Attic say these names, I won't get them wrong. I promise you guys. Lean on him to do all the uh, do all the hard work. He gets to hear the, the tapes of how the fighters pronounce their names and stuff like that. Okay, so this guy fought in... EFC, so that's uh, Khabib's fight promotion. Hasn't fought since last January, though. Okay. I'm here for this fight. Guys, I'm here for this whole card, top to bottom. Not this one. That one happened already. Where are we? UFC 285. All right. Incredible. Incredible. So excited for this card. I haven't been this excited uh, for a card in a while. Man, so many great fights. That Derek Brunson, uh, Drickus Duplessis, I'm telling you guys, it's going to be awesome. Um, All right. I've, I've gone past my – so my normal limit for these things is usually around an hour. We're a little past that right now. I just find like those of you who do enjoy the podcast and I love every single one of you. Most people tend to check out or tune out after about an hour. So that's why I only do about an hour, but 
We talk about Jake Paul. Um, I didn't watch the fight. All I watched is um, Tommy Fury get his hand raised, split decision. Some people are saying um, it was a robbery. I don't, I don't care. Um, even if this was like a great fight, it doesn't have the why for me. You know, the who, what, when, where, why. We know who. We know it's a YouTube guy against a famous boxer's brother. We know what. They're boxing eight rounds. We know when it was today. We know where was in the Middle East somewhere, Dubai. I don't know. I don't have the why. Why? Because they don't like each other. That's not that's not good enough. Like what's on the line here? You know, there's no championship. There's no I I mean, I guess they gambled their whole fight purse, but like do you really care? Do you really care like who walked away with the money after this one? The other Jake Paul fights, I could see why it was interesting. All right, he's fighting former MMA legends. Like this one, I guess you can make the case like he's actually fighting a guy who has boxed. So there's that. This was the first guy he's ever fought that boxed, right? That only boxed, like not an MMA fighter. I don't know. I just. I didn't get it. And then, you know, Fury, who, you know, his brother is the greatest heavyweight boxer on planet Earth. He just barely beats this YouTube star, and he was, like, jumping up and down, and he won a split decision. I I don't know. It, it It's a little bit disrespectful to the sport of boxing to me, but I don't, I don't really care about that sport, so it doesn't matter to me. I haven't cared about boxing in a, in a meaningful period of time. Um, but, you know, I'm open to hearing anyone's opinion. So <laughs> let me know I'm wrong. Let me know if there's a reason I should have cared about this. Um, and I'd be willing to consider it. Let me know if it's something that was worth watching. And maybe I'll go back and check it out. But at, I don't really care. I I can't imagine a scenario where I would care to the point where I would tune in to watch. Um, but I will say this. Uh, the one good thing that has happened is uh, he Jake Paul has gotten people talking about boxing and talking about combat sports who wouldn't normally. You know, the, he's getting them interested, which is a good thing in the long run. You know, I got to. I'm not just going to sit here and bitch about it to you guys. I'll, I'll tell you there are some positives, you know, and I, I get people um, asking me what I think about it um, because they know I do this, you know, whether they, they just see it on Facebook every now and then, or they're, they're friends or their training partners. So they just follow my Instagram or whatever. They, they, they're aware that I do this, but don't necessarily listen to every show. Um, you know, Jake Paul is something I get asked about a lot. It's probably, it's probably the, the thing I get asked about the most. Like, well, what do you think about Jake Paul? Look, 
the guy can box. Well, what's going to happen against Tommy Fury? I don't know. Tommy Fury is a boxer. Yes, he's not an elite boxer, which I think a lot of people who don't follow the sport would assume because of who his brother is. He comes from that family. But, you know, he took more of like a social media influencer route, which I don't fault the guy for doing. You know, he's making a good living for himself. And he's an undefeated boxer, yes. But if you look at the records of the guys he's beaten, their combined record is like 17 and 170 losses, something in that vicinity. Feel free to correct me on that. I'm thinking I'm just pulling numbers out of thin air here, but I think I'm close. So, again, I don't have the why. Like, why should I care about this? And I guess the only answer I can come up with is because a lot of people who don't normally care about combat sports are interested in this. Um, so I guess that's where it's worth it for me to mention it and for me to, I guess, give you my take on it. So there it is. Tommy Fury won. Um, doesn't really impact my day. <laughs> so there you have it. Um, but if you like this kind of stuff, great. Watch it. Pay for it. Stream it. Do whatever it is you do. I'm not judging. Um, I think everybody should be free to do the things that they enjoy and watch things that they like and, you know, do whatever it is they like to do in this life. You only get to do it once, so enjoy it. Uh, you can also enjoy some MMA on the Rocks merchandise through our friends at Team Reaper. The website is reaper1.co. If you want to grab yourself an over-the-top, under-the-influence tank top T-shirt or hoodie, it's getting to be tank top season. So hope you guys have been doing your bicep curls. Go on Team Reaper website, grab yourself MMA on the Rocks tank top. You can use the promo code MMAROCKS10, M-M-A-R-O-C-K-S-1-0. Save yourself 10% off your entire order, whether you're ordering my merchandise or not. Uh, that promo code is good, I believe. If it's not, message me. I'll find you another one. I'll help you out. You want to get some Team Reaper gear? They got good rash guards. They got jujitsu geese. They got hats. They got gear bags. They got all that stuff. You can support some local fighters. You can support some bare-knuckle boxers. You can support some professional MMA fighters. Buy their merchandise. Put some money in their pockets so they can buy some good food and stuff like that. Um, and that's it, man. That's all I got. I I was expecting, like, every time I expect a short episode, I end up going overtime. We're, uh, we're about 15 minutes over now. I uh, hope you guys aren't disappointed. hope you like this uh, extra content I'm giving for you guys while I'm pretty emaciated and exhausted here. But that's all I got. So until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.